All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are in week three of our series, The Kingdom Project, and I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, to go back online, download our app, follow along with us. All of these messages build on top of one another. And just a quick review for those of you that may be visiting with us for the first time in week one of this series. We defined what the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is. Those terms are used interchangeably in the scriptures and it's an important subject uh, because Jesus spent more time talking about this subject, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, than any other subject or topic that he discussed. And so we defined it in week one and we talked about how to enter the kingdom. And then last week we came back And we talked about the importance of our life revolving around the kingdom, that the priority of our life, Jesus said, should be to seek first the kingdom of God. Ultimately, we're gonna talk about what our role is, the part that you play, I play specifically in the kingdom of God. I've said before that this series is really more than anything a dream. It's a dream that what if, Every member of Champion Forest woke up every single day and your first thought was how am I going to advance the kingdom of God today? What role do I play? What part do I play? How do I live for the kingdom? And living for the kingdom begins with having a heart for the kingdom. And so if you're taking notes, as I encourage you to, the title of the message today is A Kingdom Heart. Before we ever talk about what we can do for the Lord as it relates to advancing his kingdom, before we ever talk about any action that we are to take as citizens of the kingdom of God, we must first look inwardly and talk about our heart. What God wants more than our work for him, what he wants more than the service that we render unto him, what he wants more than our time, more than our, more than our giving, what God wants more than anything is our heart. And today we're going to look at Jesus' first sermon that he ever preached. It's the longest Uh, recorded discourse that we have of Jesus in the scriptures. You know it as the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna look at essentially the introduction of it, what we know of as the Beatitudes. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what you see is the entire thrust of this message is, yes, it has a lot to do with our outward activity and behavior. But what Jesus wants more than anything, and he makes this clear in this sermon, is he wants an inward renewal that comes from and takes place in the heart. He knew what was most important in living the kingdom life was having a kingdom heart. Because if he could get our hearts in the right place, then the actions and the behaviors of kingdom citizens would take care of itself. And we would do those actions and behaviors with the right motives and in the right spirit and with the right attitude. So much of the Sermon on the Mount, as you read it, is Jesus holding up the religious leaders and how they lived, thinking that they were right citizens for the kingdom of God, and contrasting their life with the life of a true citizen 
of the kingdom. And you look at the life of the religious leaders, I mean, just think about it. Their actions, what they did, their behaviors were pretty rock solid. I mean, they had the, the law memorized backwards and forwards. Uh, they, they went to church. They paid their tithes. They could check off the list of things to do. But do you remember what Jesus said? Matthew chapter five, verse 20. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this sentence would have blown the minds of those that were gathered there listening to Jesus teach that how can my righteousness exceed the Pharisees, the religious leaders. These are the guys who followed the law. They knew exactly what to do and were doing it for the most part. And the answer is, from Jesus, it's about the heart. What we do is important, absolutely. But why we do what we do the motives, the intent of our heart, the root system behind why we do what we do is what matters most. And so before we ever talk about what we can do for God to help advance his kingdom, before we ever talk about any action or behavior that we're to implement, we've gotta make sure that the root system is in the clear that it's right, that it's coming from a pure place. And what Jesus knew more than anything is that if you wanna live a kingdom life, you've gotta have a kingdom heart. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter five. Now, Jesus takes his disciples to a mountainside in Galilee for groups that we take to Israel. We always go to the traditional spot. I'll show you some clips, some footage here of this hillside uh, where uh, we believe uh, the Sermon on the Mount took place. And uh, it's a beautiful area right by the Sea of Galilee. And uh, our tour groups always uh, go here and we will say the Lord's Prayer together there. We'll sing together there. We'll typically teach from the Sermon on the Mount because this is where it happened. And uh, it's just a beautiful time. If we ever go to Israel again, because I ain't going anytime soon, but if we ever go to Israel again, we want you to go. And uh, we'll take you to this spot and it really is a moving place. And it was here that Jesus gets his disciples together. The Bible says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over the Beatitudes. I mean, commentary after commentary. There have been entire sermon series preached on each of the Beatitudes. We're gonna get through all eight of them today and I'm gonna get you out of here in time, okay? So we've got a lot of work to do. And the Beatitudes, all of them start with this word, blessed. Any research into this word, you'll see some synonyms. It can mean fortunate, it can mean content, can mean blissful, it can mean joyful, probably the best translation 
uh, comes from uh, uh, Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. Okay, I'm getting ready to go to West Monroe, Louisiana here in a couple weeks doing a men's conference. I'll go by Duck Commander's Place. And if, you, if you're familiar with Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson, whenever his wife cooked him a good meal or whenever he made a good hunt and kill and they'd ask him how he's doing, Phil Robertson would say, happy, happy, happy. All right? That's a good translation of the word blessed right here. Happy, happy, happy is the person who has a kingdom heart. A kingdom heart looks a certain way. A few weeks ago, we had a member of our church, young man, who was on vacation and, and started having some heart issues. At his age, shouldn't have any heart issues. And uh, there were, of course, his parents were concerned. And so uh, he was out of town. They ended up getting an air flight back here to Houston. And uh, I can remember going down and, and visiting with the family, and it was just a time of uncertainty. We didn't really know what was going on. How can a, a young man be having some heart issues? And so they were taking this uh, kid and just doing all sorts of tests because they had to figure out what was going on. And of course, they did an EKG and they did a chest X-ray. But the thing that they really wanted to do uh, was an echocardiogram. That's a sonogram for the heart, essentially, because they needed to see this kid's heart the best way that they could. And so they're doing this echocardiogram, finding out what's wrong with the heart, how's it functioning, they wanna be able to see it, and so that's what we're gonna do today, okay? We're gonna look at the Beatitudes, and it's gonna serve as a spiritual echocardiogram, if you will, of what our hearts look like. If you wanna know whether or not you have a kingdom heart, this Beatitude right here, the, the Beatitudes will serve as kind of a taking a spiritual picture, if you will, to see whether or not we have that. Uh, as we look at these Beatitudes, um, we'll determine exactly how heart healthy we are. Uh, there are eight different statements, but they build on uh, one another. Uh, Pastor Stuart Weber said it like this, treating the internal character of the kingdom servant, treating the internal character of the heart. These Beatitudes are not separate little statements intended to be hung on a wall, plaques on our home. They are so much more than cute, memorable phrases. They are rock-solid truths for living. While each Beatitude stands on its own, each is linked progressively to the one following it like pearls in a necklace. They are strung together. Each builds on the previous one. So let's look at these one at a time. Spiritual echocardiogram being done today. Let's determine, do we have, do I have a kingdom heart? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice the end of verse 3, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the exact same wording as the end of the second part of verse 10. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is called, in theology, an inclusion. It's bookends. And basically what it's saying is whatever's in these bookends, what these two statements say belong to all of them. So the kingdom of heaven, which is the rule and reign of God in our life, remember we talked about this, it's an, uh, it's an already happened element when we let the rule and reign of God into our life, we experience the kingdom, but there's also a not yet to it. Because one day Jesus is going to bring heaven to earth and we will live in the fullness of the kingdom life. And so for those who have the Beatitudes lining up, having a kingdom heart, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an already element, the rule and reign of Christ is there, but it's also a not yet. You will have the future kingdom of God. Now when he says poor in spirit, this has nothing to do with our finances. 
It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit specifically. To be poor in spirit is to have an awareness of who we are before God. It's an understanding that the world doesn't revolve around us. It's comprehending the the reality of our own spiritual bankruptcy without God. It's understanding that we are a needy people, helpless without the Lord, ill-equipped to take on what life throws our way without God's involvement in our life. Realizing this is what it means to be poor in spirit. If I was to put it in one word, I would give you the word humble. Humble people are the ones who will receive the kingdom and advance the kingdom. I'm reminded of that time that the disciples were arguing over who was greatest in the kingdom. Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 18. The scripture tells us, starting in verse one, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, what a wonderful object lesson. He put that child in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God, only comes to and through those who have a humble heart. A kingdom heart is a humble heart. It's not self-abasement. It's not self-hate. It's not, not walking around with this groveling and this woe is me attitude. Again, it's simply an awareness that without God, I am nothing and have nothing. That's the poor in spirit. Look at verse four, the next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now as mentioned, these beatitudes can stand alone, but they also build on top of one another. And one who has a humble heart will certainly, one who is deeply aware of who they are before God, uh, will be burdened, will be broken when places in their life don't line up with the king that they're subject to. Uh, People who mourn are the type of people who see the kingdom of darkness prevailing and it breaks their heart. They see sin for what it is and the devastating consequences that it brings. And they mourn. It sounds so contradictory, right? Blessed, happy, happy, happy are those who, are, who mourn. If I was to give you this beatitude in one word, it would be the word broken. Happy, happy, happy are those who are broken doesn't make sense on the surface. But it says the broken are comforted. And how are they comforted? By the God that they serve. His very presence comforts us. That's why we can be happy, happy, happy. If I was to take a microphone and just go through this 
congregation right now and ask you, when was the, when was the time that you were nearest to the Lord? When, when did you sense the presence of God near to you more than any other time? I guarantee, I'd be willing, if it wasn't church, I'd be willing to bet that 80, 90% of the room would say that the time that I was closest to the Lord was times when I was broken. It wasn't the mountaintop moments. It was the low times. It was the valleys. I love Isaiah chapter 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits all of eternity. This is how big our God is. His name is holy, and look at where he dwells. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, the heart of the broken. See, this is a proof positive beatitude here that as Christians, we're not, we're not promised an easygoing world, a pain-free world. No, we have long hospital stays just like those who aren't Christians. We have relationship struggles pain, just like those who are not Christians. We go through job loss, we have sicknesses and illnesses, we have to walk through the death of loved ones. The situations of life, ultimately all a result of sin and what the consequences of sin bring, death and destruction. We as kingdom citizens look at this and we experience the brokenness of life and it breaks our heart. But the Bible says the nearness of God, Psalm 34, 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. He delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, more perhaps the most influential author uh, that I've read outside of the scripture itself, said this. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. He said, God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This is graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom. For he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. You must pass the test first. See, this, this kingdom, it's an upside down kingdom. We don't value brokenness because of the pain associated with it, but what we see in scripture is Jesus is attracted like a magnet to those of us who are broken. And that's why we can be happy, happy, happy because when we're broken and we're mourning, God comforts us with his very present. We're taking an echocardiogram of the kingdom heart today. What does it look like? What should it look like? should be humble, broken. The next one is gentle. Look at verse five. Blessed are the meek. Some of your Bibles translate this word gentle. For they shall inherit the earth. Now gentleness is not weakness. It's actually just the opposite. It's bridled strength. I told you before, I went through a bunch of different phases growing up of what I wanted to do. And I can remember early on, I wanted to be an astronaut in second grade. And uh, I can remember wanting to be an astronaut and the Challenger blew up and I changed dreams really fast. And then I went through uh, uh, my, my, my uh, family, uh, my extended family, my uncles in Mississippi, they had a rope and arena, a bunch of horses and steers. 
And I'd go spend my summers out there and they had, they had a bunch of different horses, but two were my favorite, Flair and Bama, all right, great horses. And I'd ride those horses. These horses were much bigger than me. I mean, I was a kid at the time, uh, stronger than me. But I would get on that saddle and I'd grab that horse by the reins. You know what? I could control that horse anywhere I wanted to take it. It was strength under control. That's what it means to be meek or to be gentle. It's not someone who is timid or is a doormat for people to walk on or indecisive, but instead it's someone who is the picture of self-controlled. The Bible tells us that Moses was the most meek man to ever walk the face of the earth. Jesus is described later on in Matthew as being meek and lowly at heart. And I remind you, Moses is the man who stood before Pharaoh, the most powerful man at the world, and said, and said let my people go. Jesus, meek, he's the very one that called the religious leaders that would put him to death a brood of vipers, blind guides. He's the one that went into the temple and saw him, overta- and, and saw him taking advantage of the people and he overturned the tables. That's not weak. It's like a, a bridled horse. It is strength under control. And the Bible says those who are gentle, these type of people, they will inherit the earth. Now again, That's an already not yet promise. Inherit the earth. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the future kingdom. God's bringing heaven to earth. And we're gonna live and rule and reign with Jesus in that kingdom. And he says, it's the gentle, the kingdom heart that is gentle. They're gonna inherit the earth. But it's an already promise as well. Meaning Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life to its fullest. Those who are gentle, they don't rage. They're self-controlled, they're, they're temperate. They're not insecure, always trying to prove themselves. And as a result, they have inherited the earth, the abundance of life here, and will inherit it in the hereafter. Look at verse six, moving along. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now I want you to remember, Jesus is teaching on this hillside, and, and it's, it's poor people for the most part. You read the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about where your next meal is gonna come from, don't worry about what clothes you're gonna wear, why does Jesus tell them this? Because they're poor and they're worried about it. So he takes this, this, this physical need that is very much a part of their life, and he applies it here spiritually. And he says, a kingdom heart will hunger and thirst for righteousness. If I would put this in a word, I would say the kingdom heart is a holy heart. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for holiness. Jesus says that person will be filled. He will be satisfied. I was thinking about being filled and being satisfied. You know what I thought of as I'm studying this message? I thought of ponchos. Now growing up, Shreveport, Louisiana, ponchos was the greatest, that was where my family went out to eat. Now, if you're not familiar with ponchos, let me tell you about the greatness of ponchos. Ponchos Mexican buffet, okay? Now, when I was growing up in the late 80s, I think the buffet cost about $3, all right? Inflation's hit, there's only one ponchos left in all of the world, and it's over in Humble, Texas, okay? And if you ever wanna go, I owe dinner to the Gary and Joyce Ayler at ponchos right now. If you ever wanna go, just call me, I'll meet you over there, okay? Inflation's hit, I think the buffet's now like $5.99, okay? Um, 
My parents come in town, and I mean, I'll take them anywhere they wanna eat. My, my, my goodness, I wouldn't be here without my mama and daddy and their love and support. You wanna go to Perry's Steakhouse? Take us to Poncho's, all right? So we go to Poncho's. Now, at Poncho's, you go through that buffet line, and for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you eat, and when you're ready for something else, you ain't gotta get up, no, 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 no. You just raise that Mexican flag. And when you raise that Mexican flag, that waitress or waiter comes over and says, what would you like? And you tell them what you want, and they bring it to you. And you eat, and, and, and when you finish that, if you're still hungry, you don't get up, no, 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 no. You raise that Mexican flag. Now waitress comes back, I mean, you raise the flag. I thought about hungering and thirsting and being satisfied, and I thought, man, that's just like Jesus. Poncho's just like Jesus without the pain afterwards, if you know what I'm talking about, all right? He says, you hunger and thirst for holiness. This comes from a positional holiness, okay? He's talking to his disciples. When we enter into a right relationship with the Lord, God puts us in Christ. He camouflages us in Christ. We are positionally made right with him. But what he's talking about is this hunger to live out our positional holiness in a practical way. He says, you live out as citizens of kingdom, you want to reflect and live out in your decisions, how you interact in your relationships, the king to which you serve. And when you're living out practical holiness, it's going to be seen in a million different ways. Spending time alone with him, investing in other believers and life groups and community, getting in the game and serving, hunger and thirst for holiness. He says, you'll be satisfied. So the, the echocardiogram, the picture of the heart we're taking today, it's a humble heart, it's a broken heart, it's a gentle heart, it's a holy heart. But look at this next word I'd give you. It's a tender heart. This is verse seven. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. This is a heart that doesn't just see need, but it's a heart that's moved to action. This is more than feeling empathy. It's more than compassion. It's more than pity. A tender heart that Jesus is speaking about here is a heart that sees need, and, and your heart is so tender toward it that if you don't meet that need, you're, it feels like your heart's gonna stop beating. That's blessed or the merciful. I'm reminded of what John said, 1 John 3, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, that's not a tender heart. How does God's love abide in him? This is a, a faith that's James said, a faith that has works attached to it. Again, remember, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. As man, made in the image of God, we are a mixture of, we are made from the dust of the ground. And yet when God comes to live in us through the power of his Holy Spirit, we are a mixture of heaven and earth. And his rule and reign is in our hearts. And we are to live in such a way that we give people a foretaste of the future kingdom to come. Now you tell me what gives people more of a future kingdom to come, what gives them more of a foretaste than acts of kindness and mercy. Acts of love. What shows them a future kingdom more than the goodness and kindness of our heart out of a, a heart that is so tender that we want to just meet needs all around us? What reflects the kingdom more? 
And it doesn't matter how small the act is. If you go to the grocery store and you get one extra can to bring to our CMC to turn in so that we can give it to someone in our community that's food insecure, that one act is advancing the kingdom. You're meeting a need out of the mercy of your heart. No, we got a lot of teachers and coaches in the room. Man, that one kid you see struggling. You don't know what their home life is like, but you bring them around and you put your arm around them and you speak words of life and blessing and encouragement over them in the name of Jesus. That one act, because you're doing it as salt and light, that one act is advancing the kingdom. No matter what you do, no matter how insignificant it may be, when you're doing it out of a kingdom heart, it is advancing the kingdom and making a difference. I was at the DMV this week, okay? If the kingdom of God can advance there, it can advance anywhere. And I'm there with Debbie, and I'm just telling you, I'm not a patient person. And I'm glad Debbie was with me, because I'm behaving myself. But I'm tapping my, I mean, I'm pacing, I mean, you can just imagine. And there's one person working behind the desk, and, and she's not in a hurry either. Uh, and I'm telling you, it, it was bad. And about that time, a lady comes through, you can tell she's on the way out. And, and this lady is getting the brunt of everybody else's impatience that's working at the desk. And this lady's walking out and she just stops to that lady and she says, hey, I just wanna thank you for your help today. I'm really grateful. That's all she said. And she walked out and she was walking out. She had a, a shirt on that had a Bible verse on the back of it. And I knew what I was preaching this weekend. And I said, Debbie, that lady just advanced the kingdom. Out of a heart of mercy, she saw that couldn't be an easy job. And she just offered a word of kindness. And in the smallest of way, because of the mercy that she's received, she gave more mercy. Very, very quickly, let's look at a few others, all right? We're gonna, get, we're gonna get through this. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse eight. For they shall see God. This has to do with moral cleanness, uprightness, all right? One could say that integrity falls in this beatitude. It's someone who lives in such a way... It, Someone who lives in such a way that they got a clean conscience. I mean, is there any better way to live than to pillow your head at night and know that you are not only positionally right with God, but you are practically right with God? I have an axiom in my life. I was telling a couple of guys this earlier. Learned it years ago, and I've just made it a practice. And, 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 I, and I say it to myself nearly every single day. With purity, there's power. I, I, don't, I don't have... I don't have uh, any uh, statistics to show this, but you know, if I studied 50 hours a week for a message, I don't, but if I did, all right, I'd get up here and, and, and the word of God's not gonna return void, right? You preach the word, it's gonna do its work. But if I, if, if I, if I put in six or eight hours and I'm living this message, this is just anecdotal, I just believe God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, takes the message that I'm preaching, he explodes it into your heart because he's using a pure vessel. And I'm telling you, you ask me all the time, Pastor, how can I pray for you? You pray for my purity and you pray for my integrity because I'm telling you, I can't imagine not being able to get up on this platform every Sunday and say to you with moral authority, thus saith the Lord. There's a purity. He says the pure in heart will see God. And that's the word that I would use, pure. Again, Stuart Weber, any distracting or corrupting influence a kingdom servant allows into his or her heart makes that person less effective as a servant. The kingdom servant has a heart that is undivided, and I love this, unalloyed. It's a pure heart, and you'll see God. That means you'll experience him in a greater way. The more pure you are, 
the more God discloses himself because he is absolutely pure, absolutely holy. And of course, this carries the idea that not only will he disclose himself more to you in this world as you live a pure life, but he'll, he'll, the, the, the future kingdom, there isn't anything impure getting in it. The scripture is replete. Ephesians 5, 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You read Revelation chapter 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 12, and in that future kingdom that we're all gonna rule and reign in, there will be nothing impure in it. No defilements whatsoever. Next up, this can be the heart that's characterized as peaceful. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. A kingdom heart will be a heart that loves peace, and watch this, loves to make peace. I remind you that the king that we're subject to was called the prince of what? Peace. In his death, he made peace between us and God. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be peacemakers. How the world needs more peacemakers. One who doesn't stoke the fires of controversy. Doesn't thrive on dissension and division. A peacemaker seeks resolution and works toward restoration where there has been a breach in fellowship or relationship. Peacemakers are called the sons of God. In Jewish thought life, to be a son was to be a partaker in the character of someone. It's akin to saying this, he's a chip off the old block. He's like his daddy. And the scripture says, peacemakers, they're a chip off the old block. Does this describe you? Spiritual echocardiogram. Are you a peacemaker in your heart? Or are you always stirring something up? Hey, I, I'm a middle child. I know how to stir it up with the best of them. When I was writing this message, God just brought that to mind. He said, you know what, Jared? There's a lot of middle children in the church. And they're stirring stuff up. And the call is to mature and grow up and be the peacemaker that God has called you to be. The eighth and final beatitudes found in verse 10 be the final image we look at. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 11 is not viewed as a separate and unique beatitude, but rather just an expansion of the last one. And the scripture says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now listen to me. Just as there is a kingdom of light, there is a kingdom of darkness. And we know that the kingdom of darkness, the scripture says this, the kingdom of darkness hates the light because light exposes the darkness. 
You keep reading right after these Beatitudes, verses 13 through 16, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You have an ulcer in your mouth and you rinse out with salt water, what's it gonna do? It's gonna burn like the devil. It's gonna agitate. And simply because we are sons and daughters of the kingdom, simply the the way that we live our life is gonna agitate the kingdom of darkness. And as a result, we will be persecuted. We will suffer, but I want you to notice what our response is to be. It's not to cry foul. It's not to say, woe is me, what's happening to me? It's something strange is happening. It's not to grit your teeth and say, I'll get even. No, when we suffer for righteousness sake, when we experience persecution on account of how we live as citizens of the kingdom, you know what our response is? The Bible says, rejoice. We rejoice because we're being persecuted, get this, for living under the rule and reign of God. And what is our reward for the persecution that we receive as living as kingdom citizens? A future kingdom with God where we will live and rule and reign forever. And so he says, rejoice. If I was to put this in one word, I'd put the word resolute. So this is the kingdom heart. If we were to do an echocardiogram today spiritually, let the Holy Spirit take his divine scalpel and let him put this imagery over your heart. Do you have a kingdom heart? Does it look right? Is it functioning right? If so, your heart will be humble. It will be broken. It will be gentle. It will be holy. It will be tender. It will be pure. It will be peaceful. And it will be resolute. When our communication showed me that, I got so fired up, man. Look at that, kingdom heart. It's a kingdom heart. And I promise you this, if this is your heart, it'll produce a kingdom life. Your actions, behaviors, this kingdom, it'll take care of itself. If this is your heart, and if you foster this kingdom heart, the scripture says, you'll be happy, happy, happy. Amen? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.